everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. You caught me at an interesting time. I'm post-coffee, but pre-bagel. So, not the traditional definition of interesting, but nonetheless. I mean, I guess that makes it sound like I have a bagel every morning, and I don't. I'm not rich. I mean, you know, like most of you, I start off most of my days with a dry brick of ramen and a fistful of loose sugar. But on those occasions when I do get a chance to have a bagel or a, a donut or a bowl of Cheerios, it's, it's a nice time. It is weird how many... uh breakfast foods are ring-shaped. It's like we decided to start our day with the idea that the day is asking us to marry it. And I mean, we just met the day, so we don't really know how to respond. But I mean, this could be the special day. You never know. But at, at the same time, it, it's just too soon. So, you know, you don't know how to respond. So you, you just end up eating the ring. Well, that's a weird response. That's kind of where the metaphor falls apart, I suppose. Unless you're some kind of a super-powered goat. But you guys aren't super-powered goats. And if you were, you, you wouldn't be eating bagels for breakfast. You'd be eating tin cans. Or, wait, you're super-powered, so... Plutonium cans. Probably just plutonium. I don't think anybody would bother making plutonium into a can. And if you did, what would you keep in that can? Some kind of mega-super-beans? Oh. Anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, bagels are nice. Nah, I've wasted enough of your time with this nonsense. Let me move on to waste your time with some different nonsense. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. The drab gray pair of trousers made the fine fop hiss. I wanted fancy pantaloons. And a synopsis. Synopsis. Defenders, number 36, June, 1976. A Garden of Earthly Demise. Written by Steve Gerber, with an assist by Mary Screens. Drotted by Sal Buscema. Inkted by Klaus Janssen. Colorded by Klaus Janssen. Hmm. Lettered by Joe Rosen. And edited by Marv Wolfman. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Valkyrie. Nighthawk. The Red Guardian, and Jack Norris, I guess. Previously in the Defenders. Who boy. Okay, here goes. Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, was kidnapped by a crazily craniumed cadre of costumed criminals called the Headmen. These nightmarishly noggin' no goodniks scooped out Kyle's brain, jammed it into a punch bowl, and substituted the cerebellum of their own C-minus sorcerer, Chandu the Mystic, in hopes of infiltrating the Defenders. Fortunately, our titular non-team quickly caught on to the maladroit magician's ruse and beat the shit out of him. Hooray! Doctor Strange used his magic to lift Chandu's mind out of his brain, which was in Kyle's body, and transferred into the body of a baby deer that Hulk had recently adopted. Steve then switched the mind of Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body is the host of the sorcerously Scandinavian superhero Valkyrie, into Chandu's brain, which was still in Kyle's body. 
Our heroes, including the coyote-bodied, chandu-brained, jack-minded Nighthawk, headed to the headman's headquarters and, after briefly being captured and subjected to some light involuntary brain surgery, managed to burgle back their buddy's brain. Hooray! But while the defenders were out snatching a cerebrum from strangely skulled supervillains, Chandu was using his new baby deer body to get up to some shenanigans of his own. Soon after the defenders departed, the mentally misplaced mystic used his underage ungulate appendages to escape from Steve's sanctorum. But the fawn-formed fakir found his freedom to be fleeting as he was almost immediately snatched up by space aliens. Of course he was. These extraterrestrial deer-nappers were led by the Defender's old enemy, Nebulon, the celestial man from beyond the stars. When we last encountered Nebulon, a golden-skinned Glamrock former interstellar geologist turned on scrupulous planetary real estate agent, the Defenders thwarted his plan to melt the polar ice caps and sell the Earth to some aquatic alien investors. But now the Bowie-esque baddie was back with an even more implausibly perfidious plan. He and his buddies, a race of allegedly altruistic aliens named the Ludbradites, were starting a self-help cult, whose converts were required to admit their previous shortcomings by donning clown masks and repeatedly being called bozos. Hooray! Chandu managed to muster his meager mystical might and escape from the cosmic clown cult and return to the headmen's headquarters. Once reunited with his fellow reprobates, Chandu insisted that they science his mind back into his old body, but his peculiarly painted pals had other plans. Despite not having access to his actual brain, the headmen managed to upload Chandu's consciousness into a bioorganic computer which they installed into his old body. So far, so good. But after that bit of pseudoscience nonsense was done, Chandu found that during the course of his several cerebral switcheroos, his teammates had made a few minor alterations to his physiology. The new improved Chandu came complete with bat wings, chicken legs, a unicorn horn, a snake's tongue, and instead of arms, he now had eight lamprey eels. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Chandu was less than thrilled with the modifications and took to the skies of New York in search of yet another new body. The chimeric malcontent mage soon ran afoul of Valkyrie and Jack Norris, who were flying around on Val's magic horse Aragorn in search of the Hulk, who was off on another of his patented sulky rampages. Val foiled the wuzzle-gone-horribly-arise attempt to kidnap an unsuspecting construction worker, and Chandu responded by blasting our protagonist Pegasus out of the sky. Val responded by grabbing her exquisite corpse of an assailant by his unicorn horn and kneeing him in the face until he passed out. Hooray! Or perhaps not so hooray, because during the course of the scuffle, the combatants caused copious collateral damage to a fancy restaurant, and while destroying an entire city block may be par for the superheroic course, disturbing a rich man's business lunch always has dire consequences. Val was placed under arrest. Meanwhile, back at the Sanctum Sanctimonious, while Kyle's bodiless brain bobbed in a bowl and thought about what an asshole Kyle was, Stephen Strange made some phone calls and started pulling diplomatic strings that would allow for the billionaire bird enthusiast's brain to be bunged back into his body. Steve eventually arranged for the brief parting of the Iron Curtain that would allow Soviet brain surgeon Dr. Tanya Belinsky to visit the U.S. in order to cut Kyle's cranium and stuff his cerebrum back into his brain bereft body. But unbeknownst to either Dr. Strange or Dr. Belinsky's commissars, the Slavic surgeon had a startling secret. When she wasn't performing neurosurgery, Tanya patrolled the streets of Moscow as the unsanctioned-by-the-state crimson-clad communist crime fighter, the Red Guardian. Gadzooks! Will Dr. Belinsky's Soviet super-surgery successfully situate Kyle's stupid cerebrum? If so, how will Nighthawk celebrate his psyche being stuffed back into his skull? 
And will having a communist comrade in their cohort have a subversive influence on the defenders? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup. By staring at his hands a lot. And... Steve and Kyle are pretty solidly team plutocrat, and Val's just been arrested. But... Hulk does throw a landlord off a rooftop, so... Maybe. Kyle's brain has been sitting in a punch bowl for a while now and hasn't had all that much to do. It doesn't have access to eyeballs just yet, but if it did, you can bet it would be using them to stare off into the middle distance, because it ends up reminiscing about events from Kyle's life with an emphasis on what a fuck-up Kyle is. Fair enough. Kyle's a pretty big fuck-up, so it takes a few pages. When he gets to the part where a gorilla-bodied supervillain shoves his brain into a punch bowl, the affluent avian aficionado opens his eyes for the first time in several issues, and is shocked to find himself back in his body, lying in a hospital bed. It seems that Dr. Belinsky's brain transplanting, or should that be brain untransplanting? Brain repotting? Surgery was a success. Kyle gazes up at the beautiful young neurosurgeon who just helped him repark his brain car in its skull garage. Then he starts wordlessly staring at his hands like he was the protagonist in an Oliver Stone movie who had just had a profound encounter with the stereotype of a Native American. A trio of thugs burst into the room and are like, Hey, free nearly catatonic billionaire who seems to be tripping balls. Dibs! The would-be Kyle Nappers make a move to depart with the dazed do-gooder, but Dr. Belinsky steps in and karate's the shit out of the trio of toughs. Hooray! In an adjacent room, Dr. Stephen Strange is having a meeting with Dr. Belinsky's escorts from the USSR government. Tanya had confided in Steve during the course of the surgery that she wishes she had the opportunity to explore America in a longer visit, but her handlers were worried that she might defect and were insisting that she return to Russia as soon as the operation was complete. Steve waggles his fingers at the bureaucrat-slash-bodyguards and is like, You all think it would be just great if Dr. Belinsky wanted to stay in the U.S. for an extended visit. Oh, and you also think that pajamas and a Dracula cape are perfectly reasonable outdoors wear. Before the sorceress surgeon has a chance to tell his guests that they want to cluck like a chicken, hospital security rushes in and informs him of the recent kerfuffle in Kyle's room. Meanwhile, downtown at the police station, Valkyrie is being fingerprinted and questioned by the cops. When they ask her her name and she responds merely, Valkyrie, the officer in charge informs her that they don't take kindly to mononyms in these parts, and throws her in the slammer. Harsh. I thought the Marvel Universe was a more progressive place than that, but I guess there was bound to be some backlash after Cher and her giant robot destroyed the Baxter building. On a nearby rooftop, Jack Norris is standing guard over a wounded Aragorn. The flying horse sustained some pretty serious injuries during the course of Val's aerial battle with Chandu and is no longer able to fly. The building's landlord shows up with a shotgun and insists that the ailing equine leave his property immediately. Jack insists that that is exactly what they're trying to do and that if he's allowed to summon a veterinarian, they'll leave as soon as they're able. The landlord is intractable. He is sick and tired of flying horses thinking they are so great. He clubs Jack in the tummy with his shotgun and prepares to shoot Aragorn in the head. Oh, shit! Fortunately, before the equine boring asshole gets a chance to polish off the pained Pegasus, he is interrupted by the unexpected arrival of an angry Emerald Animal Rights activist. Which is to say that the Hulk shows up and throws the dude off the building. Hooray! Unfortunately, the would-be horse murderer lands on a slightly lower roof than the one he is thrown from and is relatively unharmed. Dang. Hulk throws Aragorn over one shoulder and Jack over the other, and leaps off to find a vet for his compromised quadruped compatriot. 
Or at least he leaps off to what he thinks is a vet. He actually leaps directly to the ASPCA headquarters and demands that they treat Aragorn there, which is a weird choice. I guess they did in fact have a veterinarian on hand because they sent someone in a lab coat out with a syringe. Weird. Maybe he was shooting a commercial for them. That makes sense. So that dude is probably just an actor, but when the Hulk tells you to fix a horse, you fix a horse. Across town, a group of three self-described villains have convened outside the headquarters of Nebulon's clown cult that I described in the previously in the Defenders thing. One member of the Triumvirate, a Sam Smithers, voices his skepticism, but his companions are confident that Nebulon's advertised method of positive thinking, which he calls celestial mind control, will help the three baddie buddies be better at being bad. They knock on the door, and Nebulon answers, wearing the nebishy guise of a diminutive bespectacled businessman. Nebishulon, as I'm going to call him, greets them politely, but when the guests begin to introduce themselves, he cuts them off and is like, WRONG! Your name is Bozo, your name is Bozo, and your name is Bozo! Tell them, ladies! At which point, three cheerleaders wearing Bozo the Clown masks jump out and start chanting the word Bozo at the startled solicitors and attempt to hand them clown masks. At this point, Sam Smithers has had enough. He storms out the door. Good for you, Sam. It's nice to see someone in this comic behaving reasonably. Oh, never mind. Sam plucks a leaf from a tree, calls it his pal, and tells it that he has a great idea for a new criminal caper. Huh. Well, at least he doesn't make the leaf wear a clown mask. Across town, an exhausted Valkyrie is having some trouble adjusting to life in prison. She tries to lie down and go to sleep, but another inmate starts acting like a big bully and hassling Val. Enraged and tired to the point of delirium, the incarcerated Nordic warrior picks up her persecutor by the throat and chokes her until she almost passes out. Hooray! Or not so hooray. Because after a few seconds, the Achilles heel to Val's mystic might, which prevents her from ever harming another woman, kicks in, and now, in addition to her fatigue, our Huska-housed heroine is also suffering from sorcerously-induced dry heaves. Bummer. In Greenwich Village at Steve's Sanctum Sanctimonious, Steve is about to give his new houseguest, Dr. Belinsky, a tour of his apartment. Before he gets very far into his many-part lecture series entitled, Oh, the many nice things I have and where I got them, by Dr. Stephen Strange, the phone starts ringing. It turns out that Kyle Richmond has been snatched from his hospital room and is missing. Alarmed, Steve makes a hasty and unconvincing excuse, saying, Sorry, Tanya, I have to go back to the hospital because no reason, just hospital and medical words, things like that. Bye! Being a physician herself, Tanya is unconvinced by Steve's vaguely medical nonsense. She runs out the door after him, just in time to see the sorceress surgeon change into his work pajamas and fly off into the sky. Dr. Belinsky thinks to herself, Oh, so is that kind of party. She changes into her Red Guardian outfit and, unbeknownst to Steve, parkours across the rooftops in pursuit of her hasty host. As he flies towards the hospital, Dr. Strange tries to telepathically summon his fellow defenders, but Val is too sleepy and Hulk is too pissed off to hear the mage's mystic missives. When he arrives at the hospital, Steve notices that a giant beanstalk-like vine is growing into the window of Kyle's now-empty room. The perceptive prestidigitator thinks to himself, Hmm, I don't remember seeing that enormous and conspicuous vine here before, and I'm very good at noticing things, so that must mean that- Ow! 
that last part is because while Steve was congratulating himself on how observant he is, the vine wrapped itself around his torso and slammed him into the side of a building, KOing the caped conjurer. Whoops! The vine then dumped Steve's body into a nearby alley in front of some masked dude wearing a green bodysuit. The verdant villain thanks the plant for a job well done. Huh. I feel like we've seen someone else in this issue talking to plants and calling themselves a villain. Ah, well, it's probably unrelated. The Greeny Meanie introduces himself as Plant Man and approaches the insensate sorcerer when the Red Guardian shows up and kicks the villainous vegetator in the back. Then Plant Man uses some plant-themed gadgets to subdue the Soviet superhero and knocks her out as well. So, all in all, not a great rescue. Steve and Tanya awake to find themselves encased in some sort of plant-based prison. Kyle is awake, but apparently still incapable of speech. Hooray! Steve tries to use his magic to free the trio, but to no avail. Tanya tries to cut their way free, but her efforts prove similarly ineffective. Kyle tries lying there and staring at his hands some more, which I guess works fine as far as that goes, but it does little to aid their escape plan. The final panel reveals that the three heroes are being held prisoner in a fibrous pod that is suspended high above the city streets by an enormous prehensile vine. In the street below, Plant Man bellows that unless Richmond Enterprises delivers him $50 million, he will kill that company's CEO. Oh. Okay. Wait a minute. The CEO of Richmond Enterprises is Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk. Okay. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am mirthful. Yeah, we're having a nice time. Yep. So, what'd you think of this comic book? What did I think of this comic book? That is the question. Hmm, that is a good question. Thank you. Those are some excellent pauses. You're welcome. <laughs> I thought it was okay. I'm kind of along a similar mindset for that. I liked it. I thought it was good. It also felt like kind of a placeholder. But when I think back on it, actually a fair amount happened and it did progress the storylines a lot. I feel like it's two different comics. I feel like the first half is the writing is excellent and uh, there's lots of big words and lots of exposition and we get to have this journey down memory lane for <laughs> Kyle. And then, and then he wakes up. Right. And then he gets stolen or kidnapped and then a bunch of different stuff happens that seems really disjointed yeah they're piling more and more pieces onto this three chess boards that are duct taped together and one of them is actually a mouse trap set oh the game, the game mouse the trap. game okay yeah. yep although there might be some actual mouse traps that are involved in this i don't know how this board is being set up mm. but i miss the headmen They've been a part of the story for a while now, and then we're just moving on to different villains that have been introduced. We get a little bit of the Bozo gang and Nebulon and his cult, and then we get introduced to Plant Man, who kind of shows up out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are introduced to him as a character, but you have to kind of hunt for it. I'm pretty sure Plant Man is one of the three dudes who was initially checking into the Bozo house. I'm sure of it, and in fact, I was going to ask you about what you knew about Plant Man, because I had a note to myself from the beginning of the comic book where Sam Smithers, who's one of those three dudes, uh -huh. leaves the mind control place. Right, Celestial Mind Control House. Yep, the CMC. Mm -hmm. And as he's leaving, he like 
picks a leaf from a tree and he's like talking to the leaf and he's like, well, show those turkeys or something. Yeah. And so my nose is like, why the hell is this dude talking to a leaf? And then later you see that he's the plant man. Right. So I keep wanting to call plant master. That sounds kind of cooler. But so my question was, is that established already that there's a plant man bad guy? Or are we led to believe that like between him having this chat with this leaf and then the end of the comic, he somehow figured it out? I think... Yes, I think it is a, an established character that there is Plant Man. I'm not sure exactly when he shows up. He's definitely like kind of a D-list villain, but who has kind of A-list powers. So it seems like he should be more powerful and more of a threat than he is considered, but he just never seems to get his shit together. Mm. There's a little note at the end of the comic book that gives a clue as to who the other two people he was hanging out with were, where in the next issue we see that we will meet Porcupine and Eel. Right. And there are other supervillains that are kind of at his tier, which is a fairly low tier. And that's why they were going to the Celestial Mind Control place to help harness their powers of celestial thinking. To become better villains. Yeah. It's interesting. In previous episodes, I got the impression that the CMC, as it were, Mm -hmm. is more of a stand-in for, like, Tony Robbins. In this, it seems way more Scientology. Were you getting that vibe from it at all? No, I didn't really think of it in those okay. terms. Because they weren't asking people for money, right? They're up. asking people to join, and I'm assuming there's money involved. Join and wear bozo masks. Yeah. Hmm. Is that part of Scientology? Mm, I can't remember. Oh, is it because when you got audited, they took that information away from you? Probably. Speaking of people taking information away from people, we get Doctor Strange once again employing his powers of mind control over people, just kind of willy-nilly. This time it is Russian government officials. Do you think it is a good thing or a bad thing that Steve uses his both willingness and ability to alter international politics, mostly for whimsy? Good. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That could go so much worse. Mm-hmm. If, if like, I could see this going down a real monkey paw path if he's just like, well, let's see, I know how things should be run best, so I guess I'll just be president of Russia. Do they have one of those at the time? Yeah, I don't think he's at all thinking of it in terms that big. No. Really, I... he's just like, I want the pretty lady doctor to stay. Yes. Pretty lady doctor, stick around! We also see, though, that... He is almost at a new Teen Titans level of bad at maintaining his secret identity. In that when the Red Guardian, or Tatiana Belinsky, is staying at his house, he gets noticed that Kyle's been kidnapped, and then just blurts out, Stick around, there's nothing important to see with what I'm doing! And like slams the door and leaves, and doesn't even occur to him that she might look outside to see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And she does, and she's like, oh... That Doctor Strange is Doctor Strange. Yep. I mean, he's got the same name. I think he relies way too much on his hypnosis and mind wiping. It makes me think that probably just everybody who lives in Greenwich Village just has a constant migraine Mm. from him just, Oh, that's right. I went out to the store wearing the wrong pair of clothes. Mind wipe, everybody! Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually cannot see how that wouldn't happen. I wonder if that is perhaps responsible for the rampant uh, drug use in the village. 
Um, like, if it's not a counterculture thing, or the counterculture is an outgrowth of the constant mind-wiping, and them having gaps in their memories, and, you know, that leads down the route of drug abuse. Why? Because people are like, I can't remember where my stash is, man. I gotta go buy another one. Exactly. Okay. And then it's <laughs> a different drug that they're getting a stash of, because they don't remember... What they were getting high on, man. Velpers or downers or smiles or frowns, I don't know. Yeah, man. I'm just get a taste of the rainbow. Get, get some Skittles. Yeah. And then they forget that Skittles <laughs> is the code name for uh, barbiturates mixed with cold brew coffee and mescaline. That sounds like such a terrible, terrible time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Doctor Strange. Oh, man. We were talking about Plant Man earlier, mm -hmm. and how he's just kind of a D-lister, despite the fact that he has powers that seem like they should be a lot more of a big deal than they are treated as. Like, he, he seems like he should be, like, up there with Magneto, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, you can control plants. That's You're doing something. And he's got a bunch of gadgets. Mm -hmm. Pretty good deal. I like his costume, too. Yeah, it's got a nice little plant-shaped eye covering. He's got a flower for a belt buckle. Plant, yep, plant buckle. Pretty good stuff. I think part of the problem is he just goes about stuff in a weird way. Like, after he kidnaps Kyle, he just takes him down to the rich part of town and starts yelling demands randomly in the middle of the street. I don't think that's how you hold people for ransom, generally. It seems like he doesn't have a full game plan that he's working on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yet also very powerful. Like you said, he appears to be able to keep Doctor Strange and the Red Guardian prisoner in his plant. Yeah, he's got thing. them in some kind of like a beanstalk pod. Mm -hmm. I did think it was funny, too, when Doctor Strange was flying over the city and notices that there's a giant beanstalk leading directly into Kyle's hospital room. He's like, hmm, I could have sworn that wasn't there before. Interesting. Then he flies right over it, and then Thing fucking picks him up and, you know, Anaconda's him till he passes uh, out. What a dummy. Man, now I want to watch Anaconda. Sorry. Don't be. That seems like a pretty good time. Okay, okay. Do you remember in that movie when John Voight uh, throws a bucket of blood over Ice Cube and Jennifer Lopez and then says, It's monkey blood! No, I don't. How do I not remember I that? don't know how you don't remember that. Oh, jeez. Fucking Doctor Strange must have mind-wiped you. Oh, probably. Bad Steve. It's monkey blood! Uh, speaking of monkey blood. This is not monkey blood. This is a Manhattan oh, car. Thank goodness. So let's check in on a couple of our more regular defenders in this issue. Val is suddenly in a prison movie. Yeah. Poor Val. It's kind of an interesting choice. I can see kind of why Steve Gerber would want to do that, because it is an interesting use of her, like, Achilles heel, that she can never attack another female without suffering horrible consequences. And we see that in action. And it makes an interesting twist on the kind of generic and very popular, especially in the mid-70s, like, female prison movie. Because mm -hmm. we see that there's a big bully lady who is kind of leaning on her, and Val snaps and holds her up by her neck and squeezes until she passes out, but then Val has, like, terrible cramps and has to go lie down. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. I'm curious to see where that's going. It's very strange to me that she just willingly is like, okay, lock me up with these jerks. It's also weird that the police decided to randomly start enforcing laws against crime fighters. 
Because it seems like they could just lock up anybody wearing a costume because they're constantly wrecking joints. I think we touched on this last time we talked about the previous issue, but that the party that was crashed was a rich people party. Yeah, it was a fancy lunch restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of business lunches, I bet. Mm-hmm. I bet everything in that restaurant was going on expense accounts. Yep. You know what? I bet they still weren't tipping well. Oh, no. That really? always pisses me off. Oh. Fucking, you're on the boss's dime. You tip. Tip up? Tip well. Do it. Especially if the serving staff has to deal with fucking Chandu zapping in there with his eel arms and his unicorn horn and his snake tongue for no apparent goddamn reason. That was so bizarre. Ah, poor guys. And we don't find out what happened to Chandu after that. Is he in a different prison? Oh, where are they going to put him, though? Oh, God. I want to watch Chandu's prison movie. Mm. I kind of see that being more along the lines of, like, Ricky O. Just a weird big gore fest where people are punching each other's hands off. Yeah, that movie was pretty gross. Chandu, man, what the fuck? Those enhancements. And we don't get to see them. There's no follow-through on that. It's just like, oh, yeah, that weird stuff happened in the last issue, and... Now we're on to completely different weird stuff. I'm sure that the headmen are going to be coming back, but they've been kind of the propelling force in this ongoing story arc, and they're not necessarily written out of this issue, but they're just kind of not a concern at this point, which seems odd. Yeah, it does. But, you know who is back? Fucking Nebulon and his Bozo Brigade. Weirder than ever. Yeah, when they showed up before, were the Bozo cheerleaders wearing Bozo masks? I don't feel like they were. So you show up at the door yeah. of this place. You're like, hey, I'm here for the seminar. And every time somebody shows up, they do this Bozo cheerleading routine. <laughs> they do the Bozo cheerleading technique, but I love what led into that. Let's take a look at that page. Because the three supervillains, or what, I guess sub-super? pretty good villains. Yeah, <laughs> They're not supervillains. The three pretty good villains show up at the door of the CMC. They ring the bell. Nebulon, in his weird little nebishy form, answers the door. Says, come in, gentlemen. We've been expecting you. Do step inside and introduce yourselves. So they step inside, and they say, All right, I'm Alex Gentry. My friends are Sam Smithers and Leopold Strike. We? And he gets cut off. Wrong! Tell them, girls! Tell them their names! And they start chanting Bozo and saying, You're Bozos! 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 And in the background you see that Nebulon is holding a couple of new Bozo masks for them. Mm -hmm. And we learn that the Bozo craze is sweeping the nation. A bigger fad than rock and roll. It's a weird point of phrasing that that is the newspaper headline. At this point, rock and roll was more than was established not to be a fad. At least 20 years old at this point, and has been going pretty strong and is really, really popular. So, to have the newspaper headline presuppose that A, rock and roll is a fad, and B, this new thing is both bigger than it and also a fad, seems like a lot of steps for the headline to ask you to take. Yeah. I did like how that newspaper was being sold. By the kid? Little kid, running around a hospital yelling at the top of his lungs extra extra yeah i don't think i've ever seen that take place i've never seen anybody hawking newspapers if that is still happening in the mid 70s that way if there's still kids standing on street corners yelling extra extra i gotta believe at the very least they add they don't have them go in hospitals just yelling things randomly for people but i kind of loved that it was happening 
He could have just gone rogue. Rogue paper boy? Yeah. But not just throwing the newspapers through the windows of non-subscribers like in the video game? Nope, not like that. Paper, paper boy? Yeah. I was terrible at that game. That was not I easy. couldn't really figure out what I was supposed to be doing most of the time. Mm. But I like this paper boy. He's got a nice little red beanie he's wearing. <laughs> Going around the cafeteria and other parts of the hospitals. Just yelling at the top of his lungs about bozos being popular. Mm-hmm. Seems like an interesting sales technique. Effective. Yeah. Do you think he's just trying different shit? You said that he has gone rogue as a paper boy. Is this the sort of thing like Girl Scouts setting up their booths outside of pot clinics? <laughs> Wait, is that a thing? I think so. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, you want to move some product. Mm. That's where you go. What would be the rationale behind, I guess, like people in hospitals do need stuff to read. I guess I always just figured they would have magazines and newspapers lying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fresh news, uh, no competition from other newsies. Is it possible that that kid is not an official paper boy? He just took the newspapers that were lying around for free in the hospital and decided to start selling them to people. It is possible. I think it's probable. That's an enterprising young man. We have solved the mystery of the shrieking newsboy in the hospital. Thank God. Yes, sir. Just call me Encyclopedia Brown. All right. And you can be Sally, my bodyguard. Is that how it is? Yeah, she's super tough. Hmm. All right. Yeah. You'll protect me from Bugs Meanie. I don't know, man. Just an intimidating name. Yeah, he's got that little crown like Jughead. Hmm. Why did Jughead have a crown? I don't know. Was he the king of eating burgers? He does eat a lot of burgers. So it's like a Burger King crown, maybe? Nah, I think cloth fashion crowns used to be more of a thing. I'm surprised people aren't wearing more crowns these days. Do you ever wear a crown? I don't have one. Do you need one? No. I feel like if you're just wearing a crown out and about in your daily, you're asking for some trouble. But kind of like the idea. Is that how you get established as like a first king of a line? I think you have to have access to people that are willing to commit acts of violence for you. Oh. Do we have that? You tell us, listeners. <laughs> should put that on the Patreon page. Oh, yeah? Yeah, tier of donation. Commit acts of violence. Guys, I'm kidding. You don't have to commit acts of violence. Just commit acts of kindness and random... What, what's the what's the bumper sticker? Yeah, what is it? Random acts of kindness, kindness and... and uh, beauty? Beauty with intent to harm? No. Um, what? Simple acts of beauty. Random acts of kindness. Simple acts of beauty. Is it simple? Lisa insists that it's simple. I'm pretty sure it's second degree beauty. You get to go in way too much of a law and order direction. Attempted beauty. Taking it from medieval. Attempted. (laughs) Attempted beauty with with intent. To to cop shows. Yeah. So it's commit random acts of kindness and attempted beauty with intent. Print them up. Yep. Book them, Dano. Oh, the bumper stickers. Oh, right. (laughs) Salud. So Val's in prison. Mm -hmm. Kyle's waking up from his coma. And we open up with like three pages of recap of where Kyle's at. Mm -hmm. Mostly just a recap of the things that he reminisced about when he was first put in a bowl as a brain. Mm -hmm. But for the first time in a long time... Kyle's mind is in Kyle's brain, which is in Kyle's body. 
thanks to the ministrations of Doctor Strange and the Red Guardian. So, good for him. What do you think of the recap of his misadventures? Pretty consistent. Um, he's just always been an asshole. Yeah, he's just such a fucking sad sack, but you can't really have that much sympathy for him as a sad sack because he's a sad sack with a dollar sign on it like you'd see a cartoon burglar hauling around. He's a rich jerk. Yeah, he's a rich jerk who is just whiny. He's a whining rich jerk. Whiny rich jerk. It really brought home how much sympathy I don't have for Kyle. There were a couple of things that really struck home about that. His continually viewing his super rad and objectively way too good for him former girlfriend, Trish Starr, that he views her having her arm blow up by her uncle as something bad that happened to him. That always rubs me the wrong way. Just shitty. That thing about, like, uh, people that blame external forces for everything versus, Mm -hmm. you know, shit that they have some control over. Yeah, like getting drunk and killing your girlfriend in a car accident, which he did while he was in college. And just like, guess I've always had a black cloud over my head. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, fuck you. I'm talking about Trish, like, some comment about, well, I guess, you know, getting your arm blown off isn't the kind of thing you can laugh about. And true to form, that burgeoning romance was shot to blazes when her uncle Egghead equipped my car with a TNT whoopee cushion. Guess it's hard to take the loss of an arm with a sense of humor. Trish took a powder. Nothing personal, you understand. She just thought I should hold my own hand for a while. Yeah, cause she lost her hand! Fucking dick! Mm. stupidest fucking phrase. <laughs> you cannot experience beauty without senses. Random oh. acts of kindness and senseless <laughs> acts of beauty. Random acts of kindness. Is that what you just said? <laughs> it kind of came out that way. Don't do that. Sorry, uh, guys. Yeah. It's okay. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to... It's a stupid phrase. All right, Diana. Kyle's a big, rich jerk. Oh, yeah. Fuck Kyle. Hmm. I do love the picture of him looking at his hands when he comes out of surgery. He's like, whoa, man, did you ever really look at these? For though his body has made the necessary adjustments, his mind both rebels and rejoices at its eyes that can see, hands that can feel. And you see him, like, moving around and, yeah, like, looking at his fingers. And so he's never really looked at his hands, man. Mm. And says, he is paralyzed both with delight and disbelief. I love that he is paralyzed at the delight and disbelief of no longer being paralyzed. That's all such a confusing It's It's time. really good. It, as much as I hate Kyle for those three pages of recap, and he comes off as a jerk, I love those three pages of recap, and I think they're really good character building. It's just that the character that they have built is an asshole. Speaking of perennial assholes, we get Jack Norris, who I think is great in this issue. He is guarding Aragorn, who is, I guess, on death's door after being torn up by Chandu in the previous issue. I had not realized things were that dire because Aragorn gets shot out of the sky on a fairly regular basis. And this is the first time we see any consequences of it. Mm -hmm. But we see that Jack Norris is sticking by his side and defending him against a crazy landlord with a shotgun. That landlord is stupid because his complaint is that having a horse on the roof is damaging the ceiling, and so he just wants to shoot the horse so that it will be dead. 
but then it will be impossible to get it off of the ceiling. Dead horse on his roof. He is not thinking things through. But if there is a through line with Steve Gerber's writing, it is that landlords are assholes. Mm. Which I can understand. (laughs) Yeah, that that landlord is just a big suspender jerk who doesn't make sense and just wants to shoot a horse in the head really, really badly. I think the whole damage to the building thing is an excuse that he is using. I think he has just always wanted to shoot a horse in the head because he's that kind of asshole. Maybe he thinks it's worth a lot of money as a trophy because it has wings. I mean, that's a possibility. It is weird, though, that we see this is not the first time it has come up that random strangers have been like, yeah, yeah, winged horse, whatever, get it out of here. And I kind of like that as being a moment that develops the Marvel Universe as kind of being its own character in these stories. We saw it before when Hulk was wearing his impenetrable disguise of a trench coat and fedora holding Aragorn outside, and a police officer was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to write a ticket for that flying horse if you don't get it out of here. And then in this issue, we see that, yeah, the landlord's just like, yeah, flying horse, get this shit off of my roof. I don't need this. Yeah, weird shit happens all the time there. Yes. So I guess people are just used to it and view it as more of an inconvenience than a wonder. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. It's a shame. It is. What is not a shame is that the Hulk then shows up and throws that landlord off a roof. And I love the interplay between Jack Norris and the Hulk, where Mm -hmm. Jack Norris is, for once, for whatever reason, trying to be the voice of reason. And he's like, hey, don't throw that guy off the roof. You know, that's murder. Don't murder that guy. He's a jerk. He wants to shoot the horse, but don't do it. That's condensed to Jack saying, Hulk, no! And Hulk saying, yes! (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty good. And then the Hulk does throw the dude off the roof. We see that he has just thrown him onto a slightly lower roof and that the guy's pretty much fine. But Jack just kind of leans over and is just like, shut up, if he knows he didn't kill you, then he'll try to kill you again. Very reasonable. It is very reasonable. What is perhaps less reasonable is that then Jack, I believe, probably is the brains of the operation when it's he and the Hulk hanging out, is able to get Hulk to carry the horse. He says to a vet, but he takes him to the ASPCA building, Mm -hmm. which that is not vets. That is animal rights activists. Mm -hmm. So I got to believe that the conversation when they showed up was probably somewhat along the lines of, um, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm an advocate for animal rights. I guess all I can tell you is to not do whatever it is you did to this horse and try to prosecute you for that. He does somehow have a big syringe and kind of a lab coat looking thing. So they found (laughs) like the on staff vet at the ASPC. Okay, I guess they, yeah, they. It was like like he was in consulting or something. Right. But it's also just outside the building in front of the big plaque that says ASPCA. But it's hard. You can't fit a horse through that door. Mm, no, especially, wings, yeah, with the wings probably make it more difficult to get through door frames, too. I did feel bad for the vet, though, because the vet has a legitimate concern. He's like, hey, if I fuck up, I don't want the Hulk to smash me. Yeah, and Jack's just like, yeah, well, then don't fuck up. Yeah, just fix the horse. Yep, just fix this horse. You ready to get into the minutia? Yes. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia, please? One, two, three. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Cory, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? My favorite sound effect in this issue was the three-part sound effect. Mm. 
or rather three sound effects that all took place in the same panel, but it had a main sound effect. It was on page 30, and it was when the Red Guardian tries to bust out of the Beanstalk prison, and it didn't like that, and it smacked her back, and it made the noise, spoink, which then knocked something out of her hand that made a thonk, that then made her say, ooh. <laughs> yep, you got a nice spoink thonk, ooh. Cracked me up. That was pretty good. I had a couple of other favorites. Uh, my first one is Hulk landing on the roof with the shitty landlord and the dying horse. And it makes the noise, clump. Mm. And I thought clump was a pretty nice one. It made me think that it was Aragorn getting up and clomping around because there's something vaguely horse-like about the sound. Clump. Yeah. But that is the Hulk landing on the roof. Good noise. Yeah, clump. Nice noise. The other one that I liked a lot was the... Red Guardian getting hit by the Plant Master in the tummy, and that makes the noise, choof! Oh. Just the lack of vowels in that really gave it the, oh, she's getting the wind knocked out of her. That does not choof. sound fun. Sartorially speaking, which fashion choices in this issue do you feel are worthy of note? For me, this issue was all about Tanya Belinsky. Fair enough. Page six, we are introduced to her wearing a rather sexy medical sort of outfit. I don't know if it's medical, but it's like a doctor lab coat thing. Yeah, it's but like a short red lab coat. It's bright red, and she's got a short skirt and some high heels, and uh, it's a good look. Yeah, it's nice to see her moving away from the sexy nurse stereotype and realizing that, you know what, women can be sexy doctors, too. <laughs> it is perhaps not without problems. <laughs> Strangely, the outfit persists but morphs into one which includes pants hmm. later, uh, page 26. But she's still got that cool red jacket. It's a cool red jacket. Yeah, so I guess she just takes the pants off to do her doctoring. And then when she's in her everyday civilian mode, she's like, all right, I'll put pants on. Yeah, it's, you know, when you got to loosen up and be free to yeah, move I mean, around and get things done. Yeah, the, the pants are restrictive. You need a greater range of mobility and motion uh, when you're doing your doctoring. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Yeah. And she also, we do see, just kicks a lot of ass in there. Because three crooks bust in and try to kidnap Kyle. That seem to be unrelated to the other trio of crooks who want to bust in and kidnap Kyle. So I guess that's just to illustrate that A... Tanya's a badass, because she just trounces those three dudes, and then they get arrested immediately. Mm -hmm. And two, that a comatose or recently comatose Kyle is a hot commodity in the criminal world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I liked her outfits, too. Also, I feel like this has come up before, and it will likely come up again, but I got the Bozo Brigade down there for cheerleaders wearing cheerleader outfits that spell out the word Bozo and have Bozo the Clown masks on. It is very jarring and a bold fashion choice. It's so creepy, those bozo masks. I don't like them. No. I mean, really being afraid of clowns or finding clowns creepy at this point, I feel like is a default setting. Or should be. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just normal. Right? Yeah, that, that's what I feel. You do see still a lot of movies and TV shows and things will, will try to introduce that as a character's character trait that they have, is that they're afraid of clowns. And I feel like, nah, that's that's a default setting. They're just creepy. Objectively, yes. All right, we've danced around this a bit, but what were the best words in this issue? 
There were so many good words in this issue. There were a lot of good ones, both in captioning and in dialogue. Let's talk about a few of them. Yeah, so for captioning, I think this is just my favorite because it is a long-winded metaphor Mm -hmm. that I love. And it starts on the first page, and it goes like this. Of late, the brain of Kyle, Nighthawk, Richmond, detached from its native skull, has been tossed from hand to hand, seemingly with as little care as might be accorded to a frayed, peeling softball. His body has played host to other brains, other souls. All the while, his mind, that self-contained faculty, deprived of sensory input, yet able to think, to remember, his mind has played and replayed his past before its own all-seeing eye like an eternal loop of old B-movies. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that mixed metaphor. Frayed softball. Yeah, an old frayed softball that one does not pay the proper care to. Mm. I liked that a lot, too. There is also perhaps my favorite metaphor that we have come across in this yet. It is somewhat akin to, like a pie made out of steel, I would not like it. And I think that that might be something that we should start focusing on in the Defenders. So I think... Pies? Yes. Wonderful. (laughs) No, uh, metaphors. Uh, I think that we should perhaps morph the best words category into a more specific focus of the best metaphor and call that the pie not made out of steel. I like it. So (laughs) for this issue's pie not made out of steel, when the Red Guardian attacks the plants, plants, especially these plants, are like people. They don't enjoy being hacked at. No, that's true. People do not like it when you hack at them. No, nor do the plants. Yeah, I just really like that. It's like a, plants are a lot like people. They hate being hit with machetes. Hmm. It's like, yeah, that is a good point. I guess I am a lot like a plant. All right, okay, cool. So we got (laughs) plants are like people. Plants are like people, and we've got Kyle is like an old frayed softball and also a loop of B-movies. Yes. Those are our pies not made out of steel. We liked them. Indeed. What was your favorite panel? Whew, boy. I may have to go with page one where Kyle's brain Uh takes up the whole bottom of it and then he is flying over the top of it in great anguish. Mm -hmm. And you get distorted pictures of the other defenders in the background Mm -hmm. displaying wrath or concern. Yep. I very much liked that. But there was one I think I mentioned before, the hidden gem Mm -hmm. from Kyle's past. And I think it's on page two. And it's his just inappropriately violent response like he's ready to knock this kid's block off and the kid is doing the thing where you put their hand in your ears and go (laughs) yeah he's making the moose ears at him (laughs) and kyle just fucking loses his shit and that panel really cracked me up for whatever reason it's pretty good because it is such a childish thing i can't imagine a bully actually making the moose antlers at a kid Mm mm-hmm Like, the kid's mom just died, and then his dad is dropping him off at a boarding school, and the other kid shows up and is just like, makes moose antlers at him, and is like, Mm meh! He's like, I'm gonna punch him so bad. It really reminds me, I think I've told you about this, I had a friend who was telling me, he had been dumped recently, and then he and his ex-girlfriend had agreed to meet somewhere for drinks. And he was telling me, like, yeah, I thought I was ready to see her again, and I, I just wasn't, and I held it together okay when we were at the restaurant, but... As I was leaving, I just started crying. 
And as I went outside, a homeless dude came up to me and started doing that thing where you make fists and like ball them up under your eyes and rub them together and goes, wah, wah. Oh no. <laughs> and I laughed so hard when I think of <laughs> Harsh. But that's kind of what that guy is doing. Mm-hmm. Good call. It's a Thank nice you. panel. Yeah, pretty good. I think my two favorites are, and we've touched on it, and I think it's going to come up pretty much every time they show up all masks, but the Bozo Brigade of the cheerleaders wearing Bozo masks, cheering that they are Bozos, is a goddamn delight. It is the gift that keeps on giving, and I loved that panel. I also really liked the... Tanya Belinsky Kung Fu Surgeon panel, where we see her using her martial arts prowess to to dispatch the three would-be kidnappers. And it's a blur of motion, but it's illustrated almost the way you see the Flash illustrated sometimes by Carmen Infantino, where there's just these like tracer images of her moving as she beats all three of them up in a single panel. And it's really, really cool looking. The art in this issue in general is brilliant. I love it. It is once again the team of Sal Buscema and Klaus Janssen, and I'm just not going to stop beating the drum for them. They are great as a pair, especially when they are illustrating really weird shit, because Janssen's ink just lend a heaviness and a gravitas to scenes of goofy comedy that really underlines them in a fun way. It's a good way to put it. Thank you. In this issue... Who had to behave like the fat boys in Crush Groove and act in a way counter to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot? Who just had to be a sucker? For the sucker this time, I went with Val because it seemed very un-Val-like for her to be, after kicking Chandu's ass, Mm -hmm. the cops show up and they're like, give us your weapon and go to jail. And she's like, okay. Yeah. Why? She's acting weird in that whole thing. I also had Valkyrie uh, for both that reason and for her just being so drained and tired when she shows up in the jail. Like, she's previously been portrayed as being nearly indefatigable. Do you think it's related to the brain surgery that, uh... Do you think that they put female parts on Chandu? Wait, what? So that messed with her after she had her big fight with him. It you think that her. maybe she got drained because when they built the Chandu body... The eel arms were like... The eel arms, arms were lady eels? And when she <laughs> when she beat up the lady... Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. But it's probably the brain surgery thing. It's Or something. Or it's just they decided they wanted her to be tired and over it at the beginning of this. But it made sense for her to be that way after... She, like, choked out the lady who was bullying her. Mm-hmm. Didn't make that much sense for her to be acting that way beforehand. And I feel like if they had just changed the order of those events, then that would have made a lot more sense. It was the whole thing, though, going to the police station and going, getting locked up and getting questioned. Like, anytime guys have been, like, harsh jerks to her, she's been like, fuck you, I'm going to kick yeah. your butt. Yeah. And this time she's just like, that's eh, my name, whatever, just lock, okay. me, lock me up. Wonder what's up with Val. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree. She just had to be a sucker. All right. Every issue's got a best defender, and every issue's got a worst offender. In this issue, who was the worst offender? What kind of magician 
cannot defeat a simple plant. What kind of magician doesn't recognize a giant, ostensibly magical of some sort, vine that wasn't there before, going up through the ground, several stories, into the room of the guy you're going to see? Who you know has been kidnapped. Who you know who has been kidnapped, and then let it grab you and squeeze you to unconsciousness. Bad job, Steve. Okay, I think that is fair. Also, yes. Stop doing that thing where you just like, like I, I guess it's okay if you level set with your team beforehand. It's like, hey guys, from time to time, I'm just gonna show up in your head and be like, hey. Yeah. But don't just keep doing it randomly and expect it to be fine. It's invasive, yep. it's jerky. And uh, the Hulk really hates it. Yes, with great telepathy must come great consent. That, I think, should be the rule for any psychic encounters. So if you're out there and you have telepathy... Get consent. It's a must. Indeed. Or you will be the worst offender. I understand your choice, and I think it is a valid choice. I decided to go with Kyle for reasons we've largely discussed. He, once again, it comes up that he's just a self-centered dick. And now he's a self-centered dick who can't move and looks at his hands in a fun way, and that's nice. But the whole, oh man, I have the worst luck. My girlfriend's arm got blown off. Why does everything happen to me? Fuck you, man. Yeah. So that's why I totally get your dance on uh, Steve, and I completely agree with you. But for me, Kyle just edged him out this week. That's fair. I, I feel like... The Kyle stuff we already knew about that yeah. level of dickishness. And the only thing he does in this issue is look at his hands. So <laughs> okay. I can't really give it to him. But I see where you're coming from. Fair enough. Conversely, who did you have as the best defender? The Hulk saves the horse. The Hulk did a nice job saving the horse. The Hulk yelled at Doctor Strange. <laughs> the Hulk yelled at Jack Norris. Mm -hmm. The Hulk did good things. The Hulk did do good things. He brought that wounded animal to an animal rights advocate. For some um, reason. <laughs> yep. Yep. He threw a landlord off a rooftop. Mm -hmm. A bad which one. Which didn't kill him. But still, pretty good thing to do. I'm disappointed. A little bit. Uh -huh. um, that guy was going to shoot a horse in the face for, as near as I can tell, his own personal amusement. Not just a horse, but a winged horse. Yeah, I mean, either way. I guess they're both equally Either bad. way, you shouldn't shoot a horse in the face. I'm on record as being afraid of horses. Their heads are too big. Not a huge fan. But you should not shoot them in the face. And now you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I agree. The Hulk did a great job. I, on the other hand, went with the Red Guardian. Mm. She did a great job doing brain surgery. And she did a great job kung fu fighting. Well done. Yeah, if not for her, we wouldn't have Kyle back. All right. Maybe I will go with the Hulk. <laughs> But she did a great job. She did. I mean, at the end, she gets foiled by the Plant Man, who I really want to call Plant Master. It's just a better name. Mm -hmm. But she is foiled by the Plant Man's prowess. But other than that, great job doctoring, great job karateing, great job figuring out Stephen Strange's non-secret identity. All around, good job, Red Guardian. Nice. She knows when to wear pants. And when not to wear pants. Take them off when it's time to fight. No, take them off when it's time to do surgery. Or to fight. Put them on when it's time to go to a diner with Steve. I guess they were in the cafeteria. Still classy. Still classy. Nice job. Good choices. 
And I like that she had custom red surgical scrubs. She is the Red Guardian. Indeed. Now, Corey. Yes. We all know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? The Hulk's rules in this issue are when somebody is just really trying to get in your head and tell you what to do, you just have to shout as loud as you can, Get out! I agree. I had a similar thing. I phrased it slightly differently. And I think that the lesson that you can take away from this from the Hulk when you are following the Hulk's rules are when you are stressed out, turn off your phone. You can't fill from an empty cup. Hulk has too much on his plate right then. So when Doc Strange tries to psychically phone call him, he's just like, no, I cannot deal with this right now. I am trying to save my horse friend's life. No. So when you're super stressed out, Turn off your phone. You can't pour from an empty cup. And that's the Hulk's rules. It's poetic. Mm, he's a poet at his heart. Mm. Committing senseless acts of... What was the bumper sticker? Senseless ass of first degree beauty. With senseless intent. ass? Of yeah. first degree beauty? Yep. Yep. Oh my. Senseless acts, Corey. Oh. Of first degree beauty. I'm with sure intent. You. Pretty sure. To dazzle. <laughs> Huzzah. Commit <laughs> random acts of kindness and senseless acts of first degree beauty with intent to dazzle. Long bumper sticker. People are going to crash their cars trying to read that. You got to shorten it. No. Each word is as important as the last. No, more important. Because dazzle is the most important word. All right, so just shorten it to dazzle. Okay. With an exclamation point. Okay, dazzle, but I think everybody knows that that is short for commit random acts of kindness and senseless acts of first degree beauty with intent to dazzle. Dazzle. Yeah. Dazzle, for short. Yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. Obviously. It's common sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's just about it, with the exception of... Corey, what happened long ago and oh so far away? If by long ago you mean year of our Lord 1976? And the month of our Lord, June. Then I have an answer for you. Huzzah! Yes, one of the things that happened long ago and... Oh so far away. Oh so far away was... We've covered before, Wong is a fan of many forms of media, mm-hmm. um, music, and film. Mm-hmm. Chief. Big, big renaissance man in yep. many ways. Also, really a rocker. Oh, yeah. Though. So, we have to say that this month really started on a high note for Wong. Because oh, yes? he, uh, not only being a fan of music, but is also a fan of numbers and statistics and whatnot, and uh, kind of keeps track of the pop charts. Mm. And he was delighted... To find that um, on the 3rd, at the beginning of the month of June, 1976, mm-hmm. one of his very favorite songs, which is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, made it to the top of the charts. Ah. This uh, good news kept him elated for a while. The month ended on a bit of a, a darker note as he thought, well, I've got the night off. I'll go see this new movie that came out. And uh, at the end of the month, on the 25th, he went out and he saw the first uh, Omen oh. movie. And it scared the shit out of him. He had terrible dreams. 
And he also did not like the way that they portrayed the Doberman Pinscher. <laughs> so he gave the ASPCA a call. Oh, and they put their best veterinarians on the case. Yep. And that's, that's what Wong was up to as far as I know. There is some overlap in our adventures of what happened Wong ago and oh so far away. My version of Wong's tale starts, as so many of them do, with him having a discussion with Stephen Strange. Hmm. See, Wong heard what Steve had been up to with hypnotizing the handlers for the Red Guardian. And he was like, Steve, that's not the way international politics work. And Steve was like, no, I suppose I'd better look into this. And by that, I mean, have you look into this. Let's see, international politics. Why, I believe the U.S. just got their hands on the f- oldest copy of the Magna Carta, which happened on June 3rd. And Wong was like, yeah, but I don't see what that has to... Oldest copy, international politics. Wong, go read that for me. And Wong's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying you can't just hypnotize bureaucrats and think that solves the oldest copy. So he had Wong go read the Magna Carta for him. And at this point, Wong's just like, fuck it. I I tried to tell him, but... Did he already know Latin? Of course Wong knew Latin. That's what the magic, the language that a lot of magic is based in. Uh, is magic is a Latin language. Oh yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, That's good well, magic is a Romance language, mm. so it's derived from the Latin. Okay, generally, sure. So, Wong was like, ah, "Fine." And he he read the Magna Carta, and he's like, "Yeah, this isn't what it was." But at this point, he's just fed up with Steve. So he's like, "Gosh, Steve, I don't know. I think I'd better look more into the roots of this." And so Steve's like, "Okay, well, I'll send you to England." And that was what Wong was angling for. So Wong went over to England. Because he was very excited that one of his favorite new musical acts was going to be touring there. ACDC was making their first British tour that they were headlining. So Wong was just like, fuck it. If Steve's going to be a dick about this whole Magna Carta thing, I'll get a free trip to England out of it. Saw ACDC play. Loved that. Had a really good time. And while he was over there, he saw the UK release of The Omen, which had happened earlier. Oh, no. So he saw the omen and he was just like, oh shit. Oh shit. This movie is scary. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. So scared. It's not fun. All for you, Damien. Ah. Jump out the window. Ugh. Gross. So he comes back to America and it's just like, Steve, I saw a really scary movie. I'm scared. And Steve's like, oh, yeah, real scary. Don't worry. The images won't come off the screen, Wong. We went over this with a great train robbery. Mm. And like, God damn it, Steve. That's not what... You know what? Fine. Later that month, because The Omen was released in the UK on June 6th, and that was when Wong saw it. Mm. Later that month, on the 26th, he's like, hey, Steve, why don't you go see that movie? I think you'd really enjoy it. It's a fun romantic comedy. Oh, Steve loves a rom-com. Steve does love a rom-com, and Steve had already totally forgotten that that it had been a movie that had scared Wong. So Steve went and saw it, and it scared the living shit out of Steve, and Wong felt pretty vindicated. And that was what happened a long time ago and far away. That's pleasing. 1976, June. Good job, Wong. Good job, Wong. You scare that Steve with your creepy boy demons. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh, that Antichrist seems like a real dick. I wonder if that movie is still as scary. I, I I haven't seen it since I was a kid. 
It was really scary. It really fucked me yeah. up as a kid. Yeah, no thanks. It's probably not even worth just going to no, watch no. it again. That's, we've been over this. My stance on horror movies? Best case scenario, you're scared. No thanks. <laughs> well. If they do a good job, you're scared. If they do a bad job, you're bored. Why are you seeing a horror movie? It's not a win-win. No. It's mm. rather the opposite, whatever that would be. Lose, lose. Okay, fair enough. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice, I think that would be a fun thing for you to do. Be a good time, man. Just really flex those writing wings that you have and write a review with your writing wings that you write with. Or, if your writing wings are tired, tell a friend. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell somebody. Tell a teacher that you trust. Hey, nay. <laughs> For, wait, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, spread the word of us. Just go up to people and say, have you heard the good news? Dazzle. <laughs> I think that'll get the point across. That people should listen to tighten up the defense. If that doesn't work, tell them, fix that horse. Yes, yes. Tired of people walking around with broken horses. No, thanks. It's no good. Hmm. If you want to give us some money, you can do so at patreon.com. If you do, you will get access to some bonus material that we have recorded and the new ongoing monthly series that Lisa and I are making about Howard the Duck called... What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. It's really fun, and I think you will like it, and we will be recording a new episode that will go up in a couple of weeks. So if you want to have access to that, then uh, maybe swing by the Patreon page. Uh, Patreon.com slash Wasteland. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Just, you know, look for us, and I bet you'll find us. The Twitter is Wasteland underscore. And the others, I think, just look up, tighten up the defense. And uh, also, you know, look in your hearts and minds, and we'll be there looking out, waving at you, giving you a big thumbs up, eating whatever snacks you have hiding in your heart. <laughs> so, you know, if you feel like jamming some snacks in your heart, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> <sighs> like a frayed softball that uh, nobody paid enough attention to. I would just like to remind you all that... People are a lot like plants. They hate being hacked at with machetes. It's true, don't do that. Enjoy, enjoy. Fix the horse. Dazzle. Bye. Bye. And they knew it. actually why the beast has blue fur is supposed to be black fur but people drew it blue as black for so long that they forgot and then just started making a blue i'm so glad because blue is much more of a better fit for kelsey grammar than than black i don't know i think oh yeah you wouldn't want him to think like that he was doing blackface because i can see kelsey grammar just leaning into that and just being like no no kelsey no i saw one of those made by Netflix movies, or maybe Amazon with Kelsey Grammer, is a dad whose daughter got left at the altar, and so they went on a honeymoon cruise together. His daughter was somebody famous, too, wasn't it? Like, uh, the lady from, uh... Um, she seemed famous -y. Yeah. 
Like Kristen Bell, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Was well, it a good movie? It was better than I expected it to be. How would it compare with, say, Down Periscope? Oh, well, that's not really a fair comparison. You're right, you're right. I'm assuming in this movie, Kelsey Grammer didn't have a tattoo on his penis that was a major plot point in the film. No. No. Weird. I know. Why would you even do that? I mean, like, you've got Kelsey Grammer. It was a waste. Hmm. They probably just didn't want to pay him extra. Well, he didn't have to show his penis. Do you think he just has a closet like, if you refer to my penis tattoo, then you must pay me extras? Yes. That was not a terrible Kelsey Grammer I just did. That was not awful. <laughs> was not. That's a new standard I'm holding myself Not to. awful? Not awful. Yeah. In terms of, strictly in terms of Kelsey Grammer impressions. Mm. The rest, awful as the days long. Oh. Well, by New England standards, that's okay. Oh, yeah. Short days in the winter. No, I mean, <laughs> if not bad is good, then not awful is okay. Oh, boy. We're getting... We're veering dangerously close to word problem categories. 28 skunks have five bushels of corn. If those skunks all started a fire, how useless is a fire department? (laughs) (laughs) I told you about beep railing against fire departments. Too much government spending? Yeah, that's part of it, but the way he phrased it was... Well, plus, I figure, if, you're, if your house catches on fire, you're probably doing something pretty stupid to begin with. So you deserve to have your house pretty... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's harsh. That's your problem. Also, cars today shouldn't even have seatbelts. Mm. They only encourage people to drive like maniacs. Mm-hmm. If it was up to me, I'd just take them all out. Mm. If you're in a car crash, you're going to die anyway. That's... 100% of the time. <laughs> You cannot argue with those statistics. It's simple math. 100% is all of them. Yeah, most we got. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) No seatbelts, no fire departments. Yeah. Best not to crash. (laughs) Got it. Okay, you ready to start? Are we gonna... Oh yeah, we have a podcast. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. And joining us... (laughs) (laughs) Alright, you ready? Yep. (laughs)